Good day, everybody. I'm Sergeant Joe Cardi from Peel Regional Police, and I'm your host today for today's uh, podcast. We have a um, nice guest today, Deputy Chief Anthony O'Darty. And a little bit about our Deputy Chief. He began his career in 1995. He worked many bureaus, including Uniform, the Drug Bureau, Investigative Services, Strategic Management, Professional Standards. Um, he was a superintendent, Halton Regional Police. And he brought a lot of good things to policing, like public safety broadband network. He improved the services for sexual assault survivors, which we all know was long overdue. And what I'm going to ask you a question on this, because I know you also sit on the board of directors of Radius Child and Youth Services. And before I go any further, what is that? I never heard of that before. Okay, Joe. Well, anyways, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. I understand this might be one of the first podcasts that... Uh, um, we do here, and uh, I appreciate being one of the first guests. Radius Child and Youth Services is an organization that provides services to children who uh, have been uh, sexually abused or uh, have experienced some trauma in their life. It also provides services to those who have offended that are under 18. So it's a um, end-to-end service provider, and it services the regions right from Toronto through to Peel over into Halton. So I'm lucky enough to sit as the chair of that organization. I'm honored to sit as the chair of that organization to help children in need. That's very good. I didn't, uh, I never, now it's fairly educational to know that. I think that's something that uh, when you have partnerships with the community like that, we can only get better. But I don't know how to start this, the elephant in the room. Um, you joined us. Uh, 2020 in May, you became our deputy chief for Peel Regional Police. Why did you switch from Halton to Peel? Yeah. Listen, that's a great question. And uh, let me tell you, it wasn't an easy one for me at the time. As you said, I left Halton Regional Police as a superintendent. I was uh, a commander of our Burlington Operations Unit. Before that, had uh, charge of our regional investigative services, uh, which included a whole span of investigative services. But the reason I did come over, ultimately, after speaking with my family, was the challenge. Listen, we know that Peel has been regarded as one of the best police services in Canada uh, for as long as I can remember, for as long as I've been a police officer, right from police college. I remember the Peel recruits coming in. They had a bit of a march to them. Their backs were arched up. They were prim proper, not that anybody else wasn't, but you knew you were dealing with a awesome police service. And that was something that uh, was also evident in Halton. Uh, uh, Halton uh, was very good to me. And our officers were extremely professional and really regarded. Um, Peel provides a little bit of a larger scale and um, allows me to promote some of the initiatives I did in Halton uh, to come over here in Peel and do the same thing. There's, There's a lot of opportunity here in Peel for change for improvement, but also to keep the awesome tradition of the PRP. I want to tell you something else, too. Chief Nish is one of the best chiefs in Canada. Guaranteed he's not just a friend, but he's one of the best chiefs, and I think you'll be hard-pressed to go around and have anybody disagree with that. So to be able to follow him over here and know that, you know, we're going to do some awesome things for the region appeal, exciting opportunity, and that's really what it comes down to, Joe. Well, I'm glad you guys are here. Um I know you joined us, like you've been here a year now, and um, I've been liking the scene and what we've been doing. There's been a lot of change. People fear change. I like change. It's all about getting our organization better. I know I brought you here for body-worn cameras. That was the entire topic, and we're going to go into it, but I also want to talk about COVID-19. That has taken over the community. We're in shutdown right now. 
how has COVID changed the way we policed? That's a great question. And <clears throat> no doubt our frontline members would be able to answer this even better than I could. But l- let me start by saying this. Just yesterday, in fact, I was um, interviewed about impacts of um, COVID-19 and policing within the community and also uh, as a family member, right? Also, when I leave this job, I'm a husband, a father, caretaker of family members. My wife happens uh, to work uh, at the city of Hamilton, and she oversees her long-term care. And so it's stressful these days in the household, walking on eggshells, making sure that uh, we do what we can in both our professions to keep our community safe. So in terms of changing, you know, policing, um, our folks are awesome. In an emergency, our folks will be there. COVID or not, we're coming and we're going to help. The way it's really changed is the interactions within the four walls here of our police department, um, our ability to engage safely with one another, and then to make sure we protect the public by engaging safely with them. So even handling a driver's license during a traffic stop, um, you know, cleaning cruisers, speaking with a child at uh, perhaps uh, at a call or speaking with a family member, it's taking into account the proper PPE, taking into account the proper social distancing that, you know, it takes a while to get used to. So it's changed it in terms of interactions, for sure, interactions in the community, interactions here within the uh, police department itself. And uh, it's changed it in terms of how we actually address each other. Um, You know, coppers like to be uh, social. They like to reach out their hands and be the first to initiate a handshake with members of the community. And when you can't do that, and you want to talk about an elephant in the room, Joe, especially during, you know, current geopolitical times here uh, and some of the narrative uh, about policing, not to establish sort of that handshake and physical contact sets us back a little bit too, right? And so it has changed. These are tough times, but um, we've we've got our chins up and uh, our community has been super supportive and uh, we'll get through it. I agree with a lot what you just said. Um, policing, we engaging with the public, and Peel, we look at um, where one of the our region is really high with the amount of COVID people getting tested positive. How is our numbers doing for our uh, service? How's our front line? Yeah, you know the rate of infection. I think out in the community is not what it would be here within the four walls of our service, where where uh, our infection rates are quite low. But that's because we have, uh, by way of rule and policy, instilled strict guidelines on interactions here, uh, spacing, distancing, testing, screening, um, and uh, good hygiene uh, in and out of uh, frontline members in and out of their cruisers here at work. So uh, we're doing really well, but. We really need to keep on top of that. On top of that, can't let our guard down. And certainly, looking forward to uh, vaccines uh, that are coming to inoculate not just our officers but the community. I can't wait for it to end. I need to go outside more, but that's just me. I could do it. I guess if I wanted to. So let's get back to why you're here. Body worn cameras. That's the reason why we want you here. That's the question the community wants to know. Why is Peel Regional Police giving body-worn cameras to its police officers? And before you go there, I was watching the news last night, and right on it said RCMP are using and getting body-worn cameras. And they said, is there a push for body-worn cameras to hold police accountable? Is that the news's take? What is ours? Yeah, that's a great question. First, in case the public didn't know, I'm the deputy chief here that oversees innovation and technology. So part of that is... um, 
on our roadmap was advancing our technologies to make sure we serve the public better. So body-worn cameras was really on the roadmap for PRP even before I came here, thanks to the good work of uh, uh, my predecessor. What what we really need to know, and, and in accordance with what you just said about the RCMP, Joe, about accountability, is that we have to take the stigmatism from or the negative out of accountability. Accountability is actually a positive positive thing it's about providing services and being uh, not not just accountable using that word to define this, the word uh, but understanding that our community wants us to do the best we can for them and to demonstrate that and so yeah it's about accountability and transparency and the best way to do that and what we tell our officers and what we've told the community is to demonstrate our professionalism we are a professional police service. Our officers interact on a daily basis in a number of situations, both ranging from um, uh, low-key to critical incidents daily. And we demonstrate that multiple times on a daily basis. And this is a tool to help us demonstrate our professionalism, demonstrate accountability, and be transparent. When I, when I started doing research on body-worn cameras, now, a lot of the complaints I've been hearing from the services that have, especially in the States, because in Canada, I know Calgary has it, RCMP is working with it, and Toronto, is the cost. It seems that everyone wants to know, is the cost worth it? So I, my question is, how much is this program costing Peel Regional Police? Another great question. And uh, again, because it was on the roadmap for PRP uh, before I got here, it was a budgeted cost. The cost really uh, is about the data and the cameras together. So there's two parts of a body-worn camera. Uh, pro- First, let me answer, the, let me answer the, the question directly. It's about $9.5 million over a five-year period, um, maybe closer to $10 million over a five-year period that uh, was approved by the Police Services Board. So back to what I was saying, though, it's about a camera and it's about the storage. And anyone knows who's got a Nest camera at home or a Ring or, you know, another proprietary type of uh, camera surveillance system uh, attached to their homes, perhaps that data has to be stored somewhere or you lose it. And so the storage costs of that uh, are what contribute to uh, the costs. Also, uh, to ensure that we are providing transparent and accountable services, we have to have a mechanism to audit the data provided to the public upon demand. And uh, so that system that we bought is able to do all of this, you know, make sure we redact for privacy. Uh, it's destroyed uh, when it's supposed to be. So it's all that back end information that costs um, quite a bit of money. I should also note, though, that we are um, um, looking to capitalize on some funding from the uh, province. We announced last week we're working with the province on that back-end part, that digital evidence management part, and that is going to see Peel uh, receive some uh, discounts with regard to data storage. So so we're lucky that way. We're, we're proud to partner with the province on that for sure. That also helps. You did mention uh, storage. I, I didn't even think of that when I'm thinking the cost of the body camera. And you're right, storage. I do have that doorbell ring, and you have to pay for your storage, your monthly fees. It just hit me. Well, how long are we storing this? Yeah, so every every situation is going to be dependent. So, you know, Joe, if there's an interaction with a member of the public that turns into a court proceeding, and we hope that never happens, but it does, right? The reality of the situation is that it does. Then there'll be a data storage limit to that uh, through whatever 
court process or administrative process is required. And that could vary, right? That could vary. It depends on how lo- however long that takes. For interactions that sort of don't go anywhere, that are not needed for any administrative purpose or legislation, we want to get rid of that fairly quickly with the uh, member of the public's um, input on that. And so, you know, I think what I should have mentioned right at the beginning when you asked me about the body-worn camera project is we're doing this in collaboration, not just with our officers, and we just had a town hall the other day with our officers who had a lot of great questions, but we're doing it with the engagement of our community, and we have several engagement sessions coming up in the next couple of weeks uh, about that, and one of them is retention. You know, what do you want to see? And we've heard from members of the public that they don't want their personal information stored for long periods of time. So we'll see what happens in those engagement sessions, and then we'll be able to define a time limit for those uh, interactions where um, they're simply just positive interactions that don't need to go anywhere. So, yeah, we, so we haven't had, there is no answer yet, but we're working on it. That's right. Yeah. The way I look at body cameras, it's the front line. Front line are going to have it. It's going to be on their vest from the pictures I've seen. Uh, Klenora Airport officers have been testing it out. Is it just the front line that's going to be using this? What about our undercover or other areas that are just in plain clothes, dressed like normal? Do they have one on or it's just going to be front line? Yeah, and again, um, probably many of the questions you ask me are going to be informed by um, discussions with our officers on the different bureaus on what they want to see as well. Right now, the plan is for our frontline officers. Uh, officers who have interactions with members of the community on a daily basis. That's our priority. Um, And then we can see it maybe trickling down to specialty units within the police department for whatever function uh, that uh, they may see it beneficial. Get the community's input on that as well and make sure that by the end of this we'll have a good robust body-worn camera project. When is all this going to start? Is this coming right this month is coming in the summer. Like, when are we going to see the officers in our service all have them? So it started and it hasn't. So it it's it has started from a technology testing uh, aspect at our airport division, where we rolled it out to a very few number of officers at our airport division who were keen to test the equipment. We have uh, an especially keen uh, command team and officers who were eager to test it at the airport, uh, where you know technology exists certainly. Uh, And we know that travel is down uh, lately, so it gave us an opportunity to test the equipment so that we can compile a bunch of information so that when we went back to our officers, our general pool of officers here within Peel Region and the community, we're able to provide good good information about how it works, uh, the testing. um, And so we've done that now at the airport, and this is why we're starting our engagement. We've just had our uh, officer engagement session. We'll have more of those and our community uh, engagement uh, coming up, uh, several of them coming up in the next uh, couple weeks. So, yes, it started on a pilot basis uh, at the airport. We are now starting to roll them out, and we'll continue to develop the program as we receive that input. So it's going to be shortly that our public's going to see our members with these body cameras. Yeah, the public the the public will see body cameras uh, fully deployed. We hope by and I know nobody can see this, but uh, uh, Inspector Josh Colley sitting beside me, and uh, his eyes are crossing right now because every time I say uh, I, I give a new date for full deployment, he's in charge of the project, and um, you know um, he he has a bit of a conniption, but. 
probably by the end of the summer, early fall, we'll see a full deployment. And uh, we're taking that long because we really need the input of all our stakeholders. Which is a good plan because when I look at my life, I just got a new phone and trying to figure it out. <laughs> I'm still lost with it. Technology is not my friend, even though it should be. As an officer, what training will I receive? And is it something that's going to be like for a guy like me, it'll be easy for me to use this or I'm going to be like, I need to go to school for six months to figure it out? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. Well, you know, the training is robust. There's two parts of the training, really. So the one part is the technical part, and that's about how do I turn the camera on and off? Um, and the second part about, about training is when does the camera need to come on and off? What do I do with uh, an interaction, a video interaction? And so that robust, initial robust training uh, plan is underway for officers. Um, it'll be informed. It's iterative, which means it will take shape over time. We'll add to it uh, as we hear from experiences from officers and members of the community. Um, but that uh, our officers, as part of their annual training, will go in, receive the training, Josh, how how uh, how long is the training right now? Two days, over so, into eight hour days. So it's two eight hour days. So it's pretty it's pretty robust. But we'll add to that um, as we experience input from from all those stakeholders. I'm glad I have Inspector Collie here to get into the nitty gritty. If we have those answers, because we wanted them here in case I asked you those questions that I try and stump you on. Um, I'm not trying to stump you. I just want the information out. I think that's the goal here is for all of the community to understand what's going on. Because I hope I could learn in that two, eight-hour days to how to figure this out. Because I, I really believe this is something that we really need. Uh, I think it's going to help us with a lot with um, transparency. How about how if I finish my shift? Like, I, I think what a lot of the questions I'm talking to my friends is, do I have to then, like, download it? And who's responsible? Like, where does it... Like, I, I know you told me it goes to the... That's where a lot of the money's going as to where this is going to, but who's responsible for downloading after my 12 hour shift where this goes? Yeah, that's a great question because sometimes uh, unintended consequences of um, implementing technology is that you actually take officers off the road when you're trying to create efficiencies, right? And, and, and be accountable and transparent. Um, with this particular product, uh, we provide an on-the-go type of uh, mechanism for officers to be able to upload, download uh, video as required for any administrative processes. We'll have a special unit uh, that uh, is in charge of any particular uh, video evidence that needs to go for an administrative process um, to review, redact, make sure that uh, you know we have uh, all personal uh, information protected. So that that won't be a frontline officer uh, duty, and an, and a, and a frontline officer will be able to, on a daily basis, interact with the body-worn camera on the go, which means it won't take them off the road. Well, that's good. Can, uh, the way I'm thinking it from a frontline perspective here, can, can I use the video to watch it to make my notes, or is that separate? Yeah, so an officer is going to make their notes like they always do prior to watching video. I mean, that's that's the uh, that's the direction we're providing our officers. The their notes uh, are important for their uh, independent recollection, um, and then an officer will have access to the video um, to ensure that it is redacted properly, personal information is removed uh, if necessary, if it needs to be used. Um, so that sort of stuff. So um, an officer's notes are are made like they've always been made 
based on their recollection at the time. Okay, that's, that's something I would want to know at the front line. If you, I'm just thinking, when I was talking to my neighbors about this podcast on body rolling cameras, one of the big questions comes up. If I'm an officer and I have a conversation with this um, member of the public and it's being recorded, do they have the right to see the video? Yeah, so this is something that we are taking input on. Now, it's going to be difficult, let's say, at the roadside to be able to show a video of what just happened and interacted. The public will have access to the video uh, through sort of traditional means in terms of filing for a uh, uh, filing for a freedom of information, for sure. Uh, there'll be a process for that. Um, but we're really s- still looking at and understanding um, what the mechanism is uh, for sharing the video with anyone uh, other than someone who's been actually a subject of that video or participant of that video. So I think we're shaping that one out. Um, I don't really see the efficiency in showing a video at roadside. I'm not saying that's not going to happen. We'll certainly hear some feedback about that from the public and from our officers. What happens if an officer um, it doesn't follow the procedures on that, doesn't turn it on? Is there going to be a, some discipline for the officer who's not going putting it on at when he's supposed to or or doesn't store it at the end of his shift. Yeah. We get this question a lot, Joe, from, from our cops. Um, and it's not because they're approaching it with, I'm not going to do it. By the way, I, I want to tell you that our frontline members want the body-worn cameras. Um, they really do, and they're anticipating I, I it. I totally agree, because yeah. I want them. Yeah. Um, this is what I would say to that. Do you remember when COVID first started and mandatory masks were um, implemented for indoor uh, facilities? And I remember one time being in the Home Depot parking lot and you know I parked my car shortly after this. I walked into Home Depot and I couldn't understand why everybody was looking at me and sort of cross-eyed and looking at me like I had 10 heads. And then I realized I didn't have my mask on. And I guess the point that I'm trying to get across here is that there is going to be an adjustment period for both our officers and members of the public when it comes to body-worn camera because it's a new thing. And so we're going to take an educational approach, definitely, uh, for our officers uh, versus a strict discipline approach at the onset. Um, And in terms of blatant disregard, I don't see that happening. But if it does, an officer is going to have to account for themselves like they do in any other aspect of the job. So there'll be no difference there. I, I see a lot of uses for body cam. I, I don't know if you guys are thinking the same way I'm thinking, because I think you could use it for evidence. You enhance our accountability. I think it also improves our communication with the public. But can you use it like for a training tool? If I go into a counter, I don't want to give it a great example, but let's say it's something that we could use as a film and show it to future officers. This is a good way of doing a... Um, a domestic or this is a bad way we shouldn't be going this way is it something that we're thinking of that we could use the footage for training absolutely the whole point of this is to make us better um, and to demonstrate to the community our professionalism as I said but it's to make us better and to improve and let me give you a quick little story when we put this out initially as a uh, pilot uh, program to test the technology of it I had one of the officers one of the eight officers that had it at the airport division um, told us the story to say hey listen um, you know I looked at the video after this interaction and it was a very positive interaction uh, with a member of the public but I couldn't believe how many times I sort of 
cut that person off talking. And it was it was positive, uh, but it was you know interrupted you know to get to get an answer to a question I needed to fill in for a report or you know maybe turn my back and it just really brought the officer to understand hey you know maybe I just sort of let them finish the sentence. I think what I'm trying to say is that there's formal training we just discussed being down in our training bureau getting the training and then there's informal it's understanding taking a look um, this is why professional sports teams um, you know do use video to you know dissect sort of what they do and and how they can improve so I think officers will use it as an informal training tool as well the hot topic um, from the community will be will body-worn cameras be used as their surveillance yeah, no, I th- listen, I don't think anyone in the police department, but rest assured, certainly anyone at the Information Privacy Commission's office or the public would want police to use the tool as a surveillance tool. It, We can assure you it's not. Um, it's a tool to capture interactions, demonstrate professionalism. You know, uh, I think that's the main focus. It certainly is not used and will not be used as a surveillance tool. I've been seeing a lot of movies, TV shows, where you're starting to see police officers with body cams. It's starting to become the norm instead of like, wow, what's that? I'm RoboCop from the, the 80s. And this will probably be your, one of the toughest questions I'm going to ask you to prepare yourself. What's your favorite police movie? <laughs> well, Joe, you're dating yourself if RoboCop was uh, your favorite police movie. But... Uh, Listen, I'm gonna I'm gonna answer this. Uh, geez, I don't watch a lot of TV. Um, I love sports, so I try to keep it to sports. So I don't watch a lot of um, a lot of TV. But there's a Netflix series called uh, Fauda, uh, F A U D A. And although it's not a police centric movie, it's about special forces in in, in obviously um, overseas. Uh, that deal with crisis situations on a daily basis. So it's action-packed. So that's my favorite Netflix series. Uh, did I cheat by giving you a series instead of a movie? No, you didn't cheat. I, I didn't hear about that one. I, I kind of, I'm a big fan of Justified or Bosch or something like that. Usually I don't like police movies. I find Hollywood gets a lot wrong. Hey, that's a good question. What do you think Hollywood gets wrong when you talk about, when they show policing? I, listen, I, I, I can answer this one. I'm pretty sure every cop feels the same way. Um, it's timing. It's like, um, you know, you always see it, um, like, especially in the forensic aspect of it, right? You know, you lift up, you, li- you lift the DNA and you send it off to the quote unquote lab and it comes back in 20 minutes. Or there's some sort of technology roadside that links a DNA sample. I, I, think, I think it's just timing and how fast these things happen. And I think Hollywood does probably a pretty good jo- job now of portraying some of the realities, especially in the, the depending on what series or movie um, you look at. But I think the timing uh, of it is probably what they get wrong. They don't do us any favors because, you know, the members of the public are saying, how come this can happen within 24 hours or two hours in a movie and it takes us three weeks? I I didn't think about that, but I'm picturing my time on the road. Those questions will happen so many times. I go, oh, we'll get fingerprints, and they'll be calling me the next day. Did we get the guy arrested? I go, it takes a couple of weeks. A couple of weeks. <laughs> yeah, timing is a good one. I think Hollywood gets wrong. Um, I, what Hollywood does get right I, is they portray cops, cops with coffee. And I know when I'm on the front line, at most of my career, I was a big coffee guy no matter where I went. I would go to Starbucks. I would go to Tim Hortons. I would go to Coffee Culture, McDonald's, anywhere. 
every coffee's good. So my question is to you, are you a coffee drinker? I am a coffee drinker. Oh. Joe, I love coffee. Um, I like it from all the different places that cops are known to get it from. Um, you know, I heard the chief saying uh, the other day, um, you could go to Halifax and go to a Tim Hortons and there might be some uh, uh, crab, uh, uh, crab boxes and, and nets up on the wall, but the coffee tastes the same like it does in, in Ontario. So I like the consistency of that. Um, but I also like the different flavors from different uh, establishments. So I, I go to all of them. I don't, I don't limit I'm the same way. I, I keep rotating. I, I love coffee. And I'm one of the few officers will even admit it. I love donuts. Donut. I'm not going to ask you that, but I do love donuts. I, what, what I want to end this on is because we, we concentrated on body-worn cameras, and you are in charge of a lot of the future technology coming. And um, what, what future technology you see coming to our service in the near future? Okay, that's, that's really good because... You know, what we want to do is dispel the notion that police services buy big, shiny new because it's the newest thing out in policing. And so earlier this year when I came over, we um, developed our innovation technology strategy. And basically what that did was provide our service focus on the real technologies that will positively impact our community and our, and our officers, help them do their job better, more efficiently, and provide the real services that our community needs. And so that's where we focused our technology, body-worn camera, obviously, uh, being one of them. And so, you know, some of the things that we are exploring, and when we say future, I'm talking futures now, it's looking at it now, and of course, Josh is um, overseeing some of this, is that we want to explore some of the body-worn technology, like live streaming, where um, we can help people in real time. Uh, where we were, where we would otherwise not be able to. So, can I give you an example? Joe, yes, like I would really, love to hear really an example. Quickly. So, what we want to do is explore the resource, uh, the resources of mental um, health crisis workers, uh, the real professionals who should be at these calls, um, assisting those in crisis. And we know that. We do have a program here called our MSERP program, which aligns a mental health professional in a car with a police officer, but we don't have enough of them. And um, we will certainly not have enough of them ever because it costs a lot and just the human resource factor isn't there. And what we want to do is use a live stream technology so we can embed a mental health crisis worker um, into our communications department and access an officer's camera. And so real- they... So this time. mental health worker will see real time. That's right. Would they be able to speak to the officer? They'll be able to speak to the officer and um, finding the right technology, perhaps even be able to communicate uh, with someone in crisis if, if the situation uh, uh, presents itself. And if not, at least be able to provide the officer with the mitigation strategies, the advice, the know-how to successfully conclude a situation in the best manner possible, right? And... I think to use that live stream technology, talking about impacts to the community and the services, then we have a potential of providing that service um, at a greater rate than we would uh, just with um, uh, um, mental health crisis workers being in the car. And let's not stop there. Let's look to other social social services, real-time provision of social services using live stream technology. So 
you know, to answer your question, that's where we're focused. It's not, um, you know, it's not about buying a helicopter uh, with uh, night vision right now. And, and uh, it's about what do we do to help our community? How can we um, better position our officers to be successful? And that's where technology uh, is going to take us. That's where we envision it taking us here. So I want to end this on my final question. I thought that would be my finals, but you sparked interest when you said the community to me. How would body-worn cameras and what you just told me, this future, I don't know what it's called, will benefit the community. Will this build greater trust with policing? Yeah, you know, we started the topic off about, you know, you saw in the news the other day about uh, the RCMP, or yesterday perhaps, uh, about the RCMP wanting to deploy body-worn camera for accountability. And I've always said this, is that trust is built in the community with positive human interactions with police and the body worn camera will capture interactions and it may change behavior of both of a community member and or an officer when they know they're on camera but the trust is built in that interaction we can't forget that and um, i think that it will help over time uh, but it isn't the panacea I see Josh smiling because I use the word panacea too much. Um, it isn't the panacea to build trust. It's it's really um, a collaboration of... Before, uh, I'm going to cut you integrity. off because of the folks who don't know what panacea means, could you please explain that to me? <laughs> well, Joe, listen, you told me if I took the O-D-O uh, initials out of my last name and put a C there, I'd have the same last name as you. So I, if I have to explain it, then uh, you're not as uh, uh, bright as I thought you were, although you came up with that concept. You know, what we're trying to say is it's not going to solve everything on, on trust. It's not going to be the sole factor, the only factor to build trust. Um, there, there's going to be a lot of positive interactions as there continues to be with our officers, and that's where it starts. Um, the body-worn camera um, documents interactions and does hold uh, officers, community members accountable um, and builds transparency for sure. But it's a, it's a collaboration of all those uh, things. I totally agree with you. We ended it on with a bit of a humor. Uh, body-worn cameras to me, um, I would, if I'm going back to the front line, I, I might be going back shortly. I don't know where my career is going. I agree. It's something I would love to see. It brings greater transparency to the job. It builds relationships with the community, and it's, um, it's something that I think all services will eventually you'll see in the future. I uh, hope this was easy for you. I know it's not easy for you to be coming in here and me just ask questions on the top of my head. I want to thank you for coming, and I know I might even, if this is successful, have you come in the future because uh, you have a lot of ideas on technologies, which would be a really good topic to talk about. Joe, thanks for having me. Listen, uh, you know me. I'm, uh, I like getting out front of, of issues, uh, not hold back. And I think this is a perfect way um, to ensure that both our members and the community sort of are kept up to date on what we're doing. So I should be thanking you. Thank you, buddy. I appreciate it. Thank you, Deputy Chief Anthony O'Darty. Everyone, have a great day. <laughs>